You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. In a world filled with cigars, craft beer, comics, movies, and video games, only two men are brave enough to search out all things nerdy. It's the Cigar Nerds Podcast! And welcome to Cigar Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Smokin' Joe. I'm Brad Jackson. And we're back from Dragon Con. Welcome to our 2023 Dragon Con uh, Roundup episode. Post, uh, post-con wrap-up. Whatever the fuck we call it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I Before we get into the cosplays and everything else, I just want to state that the weather gods were definitely on our side this year. <laughs> this is probably one of the most comfortable years that I can recall uh, being at Con. Especially when we had that week of like 100 degree weather beforehand. That being back in the 80s was was nice. Nice wind most days. Like Sunday was really the only hot day. But tried to find a cigar to review to go kind of with the theme of Dragon Con. So I'm smoking a, a giant 7x70 uh, Big Bastard. It is the Ogre by Asylum 13, which is a barber pole of Candela and Maduro Habano uh, wrapper over a Nicaraguan Puro. All the barber poles always look the same to me. Yeah, this one, like, being a 7x70, I'm seeing how long this thing freaking lasts. It's like, by the time we give this, like, final review at the end of the show, it's going to be like, I still have, like, three quarters of a cigar, because I'm smoking this Shrek penis of a cigar today. <laughs> and with, if you're not familiar with Candela, that is, like, that greener wrapper you see, where this one's not as bright a green, it's almost like a more faded green, but with Candela, you get that uh, grassy, sometimes a little creamy flavors, and mixing that with the kind of peppery, peppery sweetness of uh, a Habano Maduro is kind of a interesting combination so far. It looks like a giant version of the, uh, the Shamrock cigar that we yeah, used the, to smoke. Filthy Hooligan. Or, oh, yeah, uh, that's it. That was like one of them. There was like Filthy Hooligan. I think there might have been one I'm even called the Shamrock. Whatever. Yeah, the, the uh, Drew Estates uh Whatever St. Patrick's Day release, yeah, it's it, it looks like that on steroids. <laughs> I honestly don't know what I'm smoking. The band just tells me cigar nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as big as this thing is, we could probably both smoke it, <laughs> but that would be yeah, cigar. We we don't cross the streams. No, no, don't cross the streams. Don't put another man's cigar in your mouth unless you're you know you're into that sort of thing. And if you need something to help you get through next Dragon Con, call on the Strike Force, StrikeForceEnergy.com. Use your promo code SCENARNERDS for 20% off your order. Uh, get all caffeinated to make it through your weekend. That was probably you know one of the kind of downfalls is I did not bring any Strike Force and coffee. I did, I, normally I'm a daily coffee drinker, and I think I had one coffee all weekend just because it was I didn't want to wait in freaking coffee lines. Well, dude, I got to commend you. Like in, in previous years... We would have went back to the room like six or seven times for you to recaffeinate up and everything else. And not once did you like, oh, I got to go to the room and, and recaffeinate to be able to keep going. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like we didn't need uh, as many rest breaks this year. My my cardio game is uh, definitely stronger. But 
let's get into the the actual Dragon Con discussion, and we'll be right back. The elevators up. Take the elevators up. Take the elevators. Dragon never Con left in the books. Yeah, this was this was a great con. As I mentioned previously, just that break in, you know, the screaming hot temperatures to being a a mild eighty degree, and and at some point in the evening, like with the breeze, like I could almost do jeans and still be, you know, a little bit more comfortable than I am because. The breeze is a little bit chilly. <laughs> yeah, we had some like nice nights out there at the the Hilton smoking patio where the, where the you get just a nice breeze cutting through the uh, that area, which that area seems to breathe a lot more than the the uh, you know the, the old Hyatt smoking deck. That yeah, that just kind of just there's no airflow through there. trying to think but yeah the Hyatt deck I mean it's pretty well closed off you know like you gotta go up a flight of stairs and then turn like yeah, where the Hilton, like, a... like you know you're getting a street level breeze you know you don't have as many blockades in the way so. yeah you're like between two buildings so you get that kind of like valley air throw air flow through there hey we uh talk about the goods the bads and the uglies we got our interviews. You'll hear a couple of them this episode, a couple of them next episode. We uh, did a total of six, um, kind of, and all interesting people. There's some of them that I was like, 15 minutes is not enough to talk to these people. I'm going to try to send out some emails to see, like, hey, can we get you just come in for a full episode because we had so much fun talking to these people. And uh, unfortunately, no celebrity guests. We were approved for celebrity interview status, but because of the actors and writers strike they were kind of limited about uh who they were going to talk to uh you know i talked to a couple other inter- reporters and they're like yeah they're barely doing any kind of interviews on that end so uh but i mean even with that like you know you know even though we didn't visit some fan- panels i went back and you know just watched highlights from certain panels and the questions and the discord forum everything just seemed to flow so smoothly. Like you didn't just have a lot of people walking up and fangasming, <laughs> you know, and, and that sort of thing. And, and the questions, you know, for not to, you know, pick on anybody's fandom or anything of that nature, but, you know, after a show is 
been aired 30 times, like rehashing some of the same stuff over it. And it's like, can we move on from that? Can we talk about a different thing? <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we are bad for going, you know, we, we do a lot of people watching a lot of, you know, hanging out in hell half the time we're doing interviews. So normally don't make a lot of panels. Like I didn't bother to go to any of the celebrity panels this year because of, that's kind of the questions we had of how that was going to work with the strike. And like you watched just a few of them kind of highlight reels on, on the uh, dragon con TV. And yeah, it was kind of some good and some bad of that format. Like one, yeah, it was much more concise because, you know, normally there's just a mic in the room, people coming up and you get like, a freaking five, 10 minute ramble about what, you know, like you said, fan guys before they get to a question or the person next in line, like did not listen to what the previous person asked at all and asked the same question where this time, since they were not allowed to speak about anything role wise, yeah. Uh, you had to submit all your questions on a, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Discord. Yeah, Discord. Uh, and they had a moderator just picking questions from the group that, you know, were not violating the rules. So it was much more quick. So they got a lot more questions asked per panel than probably they have in years past. But at the same time, and kind of the reason why I didn't bother to actually go wait in line to see any panels is it was, it was non, you know, I want to hear about X, Y, and Z or their experiences preparing for those roles you know, or, you know, things they learned doing those, you know, so hearing about somebody's favorite nacho recipe doesn't really appeal to me, but it's people who like but to dude, know those people kind of on a deeper Definitely sounds level. like some bomb-ass nachos. <laughs> yeah. Our Elijah Wood just absolutely freaking out over pizza. <laughs> yeah, if you want to have it, have it feel more like an actual conversation and talk about their lives, yeah, that was definitely a benefit for something you don't, like I said, People tend to ask the same questions over and over again, so it was it was kind of nice to hear something new, but unable to hear kind of like if you wanted more details about specific roles. You know, I'm kind of glad we didn't get any celebrity interviews this year because normally I don't pre-write questions. I just go from a conversation because usually somebody asks, answers a question, that will inspire me to ask my next question and we'll kind of go down rabbit holes. And it feels more like a conversation if I don't go in there with like a prepared list of questions. But this time, like I wrote questions cause I was like, all right, if I can't ask the obvious questions, what's some questions that I can ask that maybe related to the craft without specifically mentioning projects. And it was, it was kind of a, uh, a nice, uh, creative writing, uh, exercise to try to come up with. All right. I can't ask the fall guy about the fall guy. Like what's some, uh, what's some uh you know questions i can uh i can ask and having to you know come up with that stuff uh but yeah that definitely would have been a more difficult task than it has been in years past yeah i i don't know you know in a way you know i i think maybe this year you know and and some of the questions and getting to know people on a actual people level and that's one of the reasons i really like you know, the non-celebrity interviews is, you know, uh, us two dudes sitting from a basement, not knowing our ass from a hole in the ground, and we're fucking talking to NASA engineers and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, where like, else would we get uh, <laughs> that opportunity? 
that or you're like, yeah, I used to be a big wig with the CIA. I know some shit. <laughs> like, it's almost like cigars, right? Like, without, you know, that is a gateway to open these other avenues to get an opportunity to speak with folks that on the streets, you know, everybody's going their own way, living their own life, oh, yeah. and those conversations would never happen. I mean, how many business people, people of just very backgrounds have we had a chance to talk to outside of Dragon Con just because we're both happen to be in a cigar shop and, you know, it's, you can't go anywhere for at least a hour or two hours, depending on what you're smoking. Or you and, have a freaking engineer say... Yeah, I talked to my colleague that you guys interviewed uh, in a previous year, and she was complimenting how well-prepared and organized and professional you can. I'm like, we're none of those things, but if we got the scientists fooled, we're doing all right. Yeah, I'm glad we put out that. Uh, I was like, oh, we have a reputation with uh, with NASA at this point. I'm like, hey, can we be the first podcasters in space? <laughs> Uh, maybe a one-way trip. Like, yeah, let's get these assholes out of here. <laughs> I'll send them to Mars. Yeah, y'all can be the first podcast on Mars. But yeah, we don't have a way to get you back yet. <laughs> Just while you're there, you know, get out there and collect some soil samples. <laughs> Watch uh, Matt Damon's The Martian as uh, <laughs> your pre-research. Well, I think after talking to somebody that actually worked with um, the mission to Mars... Um, Probably a lot of that was debunked. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, me when I watch like cop movies. I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I always ask like like asking the scientists like, all right, how much of this stuff like is you know is bullshit? And they're like, oh god, so much of it. <laughs> yeah, but then it's always I feel surprising. Like for your cop when... dramas, it doesn't make good TV to just sit there and watch. Like that one incident just took you know. <laughs> An entire day's worth of paperwork. That's why I like the movie Hot Fuzz. It's the only police movie that shows paperwork. <laughs> oh. But yeah, I mean, some some of the panels we did make it to. We uh, we went to the Palmetto Knights uh, Dragon's Cup, uh, watched some of that. That's, I'd never seen, because before the... Maybe it was last year, year before it was last time I went, it was... Because they have different divisions of, of fighters... So the first time I went, it was like solo combat, either uh, spears and pole arms was one, and then there was like sword and shield, and then there was just sword. But this time we went, it was, they called it mass combat, where it was like a five on five, like just big group brawl. <laughs> and you had to like be the last guy standing. So you're like, they're trying to like knock each other over and shit. And then this year, the knights also like cosplayed. So they like dressed up in like, you know, Dragon Ball colors over their, <laughs> over their armor, and there was ones that were like, the rat people that were all like dressed up as like, you know, had like, fucking rats and shit on their armor. I and think the funniest one was the you know the squeaky chickens. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, was this, was it squeaky possums? Oh yeah, squeaky possums. That's it. <laughs> yeah, they had like like fake possums on their on their weapons and stuff, and there was one. There was a group called the Chefs. And we had to walk away to go do an interview when they were fighting, but Amanda got some footage of it. And instead of like swords and stuff, they brought out like frying pans and uh, like uh, bread rollers. And it was like beating each other, <laughs> beating people with uh, <laughs> with kitchen tools, which was 
which was yeah. fun. I mean, you, you saw it, you know, the, the previous year, and I don't know, this year was just different for me. Like, most of the time, like, there's at least one day that I'm going to be a slack ass and try to pretend I'm sleeping to, like, 10.30 or 11, but this year it's like, oh, it's 7 a.m., rise and shine, <laughs> so... You know, this is probably the, like, usually the morning time is when you go on your solo adventures. You really didn't get your solo adventures nah, this year. All our, we had pretty much interviews lined up uh, most days, and they were all, like, 9, 10 in the morning. So it's like, yeah, I didn't, you know, normally I get up, because I fucking can't pl- sleep past 7 o'clock anyway. So I get up, I go down in the pool, have a cigar by myself, maybe get some coffee, and come wake you about 10 o'clock to go to our, like, noon interview or whatever, but... Yeah, this year was like, ah, fuck, we're up, we're going. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing things. Like, I, I, I don't know. You know, uh, I, I think we might be getting old. I mean, there was only one night where we even, and, and I wouldn't even say we went hard. Like, we just went late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like we stayed, we stayed up to see a couple concerts. It was like, man, we didn't even like get fall down drunk this year. <laughs> we did a little drinking one night, but it's like now with my, with my. uh new metabolism it's like yeah i have a couple drinks i'm buzzed and i'm like by the time i walk to the next thing i'm like fuck i'm sober again (laughs) drink Uh, yeah but yeah we still stayed up late and hit some concerts uh all right let's get into the yeah the music of dragon con uh of course we saw the the spree uh which funny because they they've actually released a their first non-cover album with like a, an entire CD of original songs. So I'm like, cool. I want I've seen them just about every time they come to Atlanta. I've seen them every time they've been at Dragon God. I want to support them. So I bought a t-shirt and a CD and then I get home and I'm like, I don't have any way to play this CD. <laughs> I was like, fuck. <laughs> I literally had to order like a $9 CD player off of Amazon so I could uh, <laughs> listen to the CD I bought. You got a PlayStation? It will not play CDs, will not play on the PlayStation. I tried it. Really? Yes. I'd, it'll play Blu-rays, DVDs, but for some reason it was like, I tried to put a music CD in there and it's like, cannot read. Huh. So it's like, yeah, it was like, oh yeah. But like, people would be like, my, my thought was, yeah, dude, we got to get you a CD ripper. And I'm like, oh yeah. Modern computers don't even have CD drives anymore. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, none of my computers have CD drives. I was like, shit. I was like, I bought this cool album. Now I got to go uh, figure out a way to play it. <laughs> Hell, vehicles don't have CD. Like one of my vehicles has a CD player, but it's broken right now, so I'm not uh... surprised you weren't just out there like whatever juice is remaining on the battery. No, so... because I can't turn the AC on out there. <laughs> it won't crank. Um, I can get heat stroke trying to listen to the Cybertronic Spree. So did you already get your $9 CD player? I did. I, li- I finally listened to the album last night. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> so is it more Rocky-oriented or, you know, like, I- I'm curious how their original stuff is. Do they kind of stick with, you know, the, like, the some of their highlights when they're not doing, like, Transformers and Pokemon, but they'll do, you know... Some Led Zeppelin, some, you know, sort of Rush-sounding riffs and that sort yeah. of thing. So I'm wondering if they went that route, or did they go heavier? Like it, It's very much a mix. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that sounds like 80s rock and roll. And then there's a couple of, there's like a couple slower songs, and then there's a little more, like, funky. So it, it's, it's definitely a... There's a couple, like, songs that sound, like, a little bit harder than... Uh, than their regular stuff, so it's like, yeah, this it's a good, good mix of uh, of genres. Yeah, that that's one thing is, um, 
you know, I, you know, it amazes me when I watch them play because one, I don't even play that well and I'm not a robot. <laughs> them, you know, everyone wearing gloves and, you know, all of this, you I mean, know, robot armor and everything else. Like, I'm sure there's people under there's, um, you know, sets of armor, but like, it, it's probably like, oh yeah, I'm Lizzie Hale, like, or, <laughs> or something ridiculous. Like, oh, all we know about them is they're Canadian. <laughs> I mean, I can see why they have two drummers because that's got to, you know, just the physicality of being a drummer, and then you're wearing like all that. Uh, armor that probably does not breathe very well. I, I see why they have to have two guys and like switch out halfway through the show. <laughs> Cause I'd be needing a break too after, you know, yeah, a couple, uh, a couple heavy songs. I'd be like, uh, I don't know. My, my, my hands, like it sucks bad enough. Just me try to work with gloves on much <laughs> less, like even try to play guitar or anything. And we also got to see, uh, our, uh, never got a chance to like meet up with him and talk to him, but, uh, our first celebrity guest on the podcast, MC Lars from back in like, I looked it up 2015. He was playing his first dragon con and look, looked like he had, it was having a great time. I mean, it was, he put on a, put on a good show up there. It's the first time we've seen him with a lot. Yeah. I mean, he brought a guitarist and you know, they were going to have a, a drummer, but you know, due to the hurricane in Florida, he, uh, he could not up, make it, but you know, that that's one thing. Like, you know, not to take away from anybody's talent. Like, I'm a, you know, I can't rap, I can't sing. So anybody that can do anything vocal-wise, you know, is, is one up on me. But, you know, it's just different when you just see a guy with this laptop, you know, <laughs> verse. Oh, shit. Now, now, like, these songs that have guitar parts and other stuff, like. Yeah, it definitely adds, like, a different kind of dimension to uh and I will say that, that is probably the only time I've actually seen Dragon Con security freak out um, <laughs> at a concert because he did a really, really slow mosh pit. <laughs> He's like, slow mosh pit! And, like, he jumped out into the crowd, and we all are doing, like, a slow motion, like, you know, mosh pit. And the security guy's like, uh, I'm supposed to keep them away from the art. What do I do? <laughs> you see, like, the look of confusion on his face. He's like, fuck. What do I do? <laughs> but, you know, it's Dragon Con. None of us is going to, like, you know, try to kidnap him or anything. That you know of. I mean, uh, Hot Rod did do a little crowd surfing during, uh, <laughs> with his severed legs he threw into the audience. <laughs> He's like, somebody's grabbing my butt as his, like, lower half is, like, uh, <laughs> he's still on stage playing and, like, his robot legs are, uh, surfing across the audience. I'm surprised those made it back to the stage that like somebody didn't have a uh, <laughs> take home a souvenir. That'll be a you know one of those obscure cosplays that you just had to be there for uh, next year. And of course, we made it to uh, a little bit of the Crux Shadows, a little bit of Frenchie and the Punk. Uh, I heard there was a, like a kind of a more rocking band that st- was like Steel Samurai or something, but it was uh, we didn't end up making it into that show. I'd like to. Check them out. Yeah, see that's what they one sound thing like. that I wish with, um, you know, some of the concerts is, you know, to get some more, you know, it doesn't have to be metal, but, you know, get some heavier music. Like, that That was, you know, I mean, when Spree came out, I was like, oh, shit, we actually got a rock show. Yeah. Like, 
You know, before that, like I'm 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 past the days of a lot of emo music, a lot of electronica. <laughs> like, which that was the one thing I said. Like, and it, you know, Brad's very stoic at times, where he's like, you don't know if he's having a good time or not, because he has like you know male version of resting bitch face. He's like, mm, yes, this is good. But I said something that made him laugh out loud. We were watching uh, uh, Crux Shadow, and dude's got these little lights in his hands. You know, he does it every year, his little, his little handheld light show. And I just look at Brad and I go, emo Tony Stark. And that was the one thing that like caught you. That, that was like the, the, I was like, oh, he actually laughed at one of my jokes finally. It was, <laughs> that was the first time. That's probably the only time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I have permanent poker face. Like. <laughs> I, am Iron I hate dry humor. Maybe that's why I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But aren't the other big thing of Dragon Con, uh, other than the musical guests and the uh, panels of celebrities, which I did walk through the autograph line, saw, saw See, Opie from Sons of Anarchy. I it. didn't even go into the vendor hall. and Or the uh, not the autograph hall, hall, but the Walk of Fame. Yeah. And... Damn, we even talked about that going through the sky bridge that we've never walked through until this year. <laughs> and like that's the other thing, like fuck, we've been going to Dragon Con for ten years and it's like, hey, there's this thing that connects from here to here. This is the first year we walked it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the uh oh, where's it? Yeah, saw uh Lee Major, saw Opie from Sons Anarchy, saw Freddie Prince Jr., Adam Savage, like didn't buy for any autographs because I was like, everything was cash only, and I I was and had not pre-bought things online. I'm like, I'm not walking to the ATM. <laughs> Remember, in the years past, that trip to the ATM wouldn't have did you any good because there was no money in the ATM. Yeah, usually because this was like probably Sunday, but this time I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna walk to the ATM, and there's not gonna be any money in it. So yeah, I'm not gonna bother. I'm just gonna like you know, see these people and, but uh, cosplay. I, I think that is probably the biggest... Like, when you talk to people about Dragon Con, the the cosplay is it. And unlike a lot of the smaller cons, like, you know, from, from pop culture to anime to, you know, just everything out of the sun. And, you know, sometimes nothing at all is cosplay. <laughs> Did you see the people that were uh, Sims naked? So they had like these scrambled boxes over yes. their uh, parts. <laughs> it was like it's the naked Sims, uh, and then we, which I thought I got footage of it, but when I was editing together our YouTube video, go check it out on YouTube. I couldn't find the Barbie footage. I, I must have like misrecorded that, but we accidentally walked into no, Barbie no, land. no. They walked into us. Okay, <laughs> we we were established. We were just sitting there minding our own business, having our morning smoke and. A sea of pink and neon. In fact, like, I put on my sunglasses and it still wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, we always say, what's the cosplay of the con? That there's like, and I don't want to say excessive, but there is a shitload of every year. And this year it was definitely Barbies and Ken's was like the number one cosplay of the con. I heard, hi, Barbie, so many times that like, I've been hearing that in my sleep for like the last week. It's. I'm wondering, like, for all like, 
at some point that had to like oh god if i hear hi barbie or hey ken because they all like hi barbie back and you could hear like by sunday night there's a few of them there was like yeah hi barbie they were just like tired of fucking saying it we're so (laughs) defeated (laughs) it was fun for the first two days yeah so we go through the hilton and there's a, a fair number of them in the uh kind of the bar area of the Hilton and we get outside and you know, at this point it's early in the day. We're having our first cigar. There's maybe five, six people out there with us. And then all of a sudden the Barbie parade marches in for their photo shoot and they couldn't fit on the stairs. They took up that whole like outdoor area. There was so many damn Barbies and there was just us. Yeah. Just the like, drone footage. We're, uh, <laughs> we're in danger. <laughs> we're, I could feel the color like, you know, starting to like, you know, drain out of my uh, outfit. It was just, I, I was turned in and i got i gotta give props there was plenty of barbies but the barbie mashups because i love a good pun and we saw abraham lincoln obi-wan kenobi it was a barbie jason for some reason i don't know but yeah it was all the way and then it was it was like one lone oppenheimer in that group <laughs> there's a sea of pink and there's just like one dude in a suit i'm like Oh, there's Oppenheimer. Like, where's the... Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna push the button. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna nuke all these Barbies. And the pink has turned to red. <laughs> and I did see one Oppenheimer mashup that I enjoyed. It was uh, Oppenhammer. So it was like waist up Oppenheimer suit, waist down MC Hammer pants. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> Uh, and when I, I saw so many great ones like in the habit trails that I couldn't get photos of, but uh, one of the ones I liked because I'm a He-Man fan was, and I saw really good Skeletor, but uh, there was Prince of Eternia, so he was dressed up like Prince Adam, but a purple version of the stu- suit carrying around like a Prince guitar. <laughs> yeah, just the, I don't know. At some point, I feel like the ribbons are going to be the new cosplay. Yeah, because those things are getting ridiculous. I think I was talking to somebody because they have like a kind of a competition who can get the most. There was somebody that was dangling theirs from the third floor, and it went all the way down to the to the yeah. floor. That was like the biggest one anyone had, had seen. Like, yeah, someone that eventually is going to make a whole suit out of ribbons. Well, I saw a whole ribbon dress. <laughs> I wonder if they collected all those this year and made that this year. If it's like, hell, this is probably the most ribbons I, I had. Like eight or nine. I think Amanda got like eleven. It's like the most ribbons I've I've collected at a con. Yeah. Which uh, next uh, year, uh, well, uh, and we're we're bringing cigar nerds ribbons. If we see you smoking, you're getting a ribbon next year. That that's uh, yeah. Remind me, like you know, July to order some. But we're getting cigar nerds ribbons for next year. Yes. Okay. Hey, don't forget July next year order ribbons. <laughs> hey Google, remind Joe. <laughs> yeah. And July to purchase ribbons. <laughs> but uh Oh, and you know I, I think since the last time we've recorded, we So one thing I appreciate about Dragon Con is the people with the skill sets that can make last minute costumes that look great cuz you know, Bob Barker died a couple weeks ago it's not been long and there was a whole group of prices right cosplayers like dressed as the games not yeah i mean there was like a bob barker there was a couple barker beauties and then it was like 
the fucking the wheel, the plinko machine. It was like there was like a whole like line of like freaking prices right cosplay. I was like, damn, y'all had to like pull this out of your ass last minute, and they look they look fucking awesome. It's it's way better than I could do in you know six months of prep time. <laughs> Hell, we have a year at least of prep time every year, and I mean you you did a pretty good moon night. Like your your moon night was on point outside of uh you know, I, I realized that I'm not the guy to be a cosplay handler <laughs> because I can't hear shit, you know, through mask yeah, that, and that was the thing too, is like this is, I mean, we did uh Mario and Luigi one year, but this is the first time me putting on like a since I've lost weight, like an actual suit and I, I did the Mr. Knight cosplay and I gotta say that was so much fun fun and also frustrating but to have people stop me oh can we get a picture can we get a picture and like you know posing for people i'm like oh now i see why all these people like put so much effort into their cosplay because this like having people uh you know stop you and want to want to take a photo of your of your stuff was like i was like oh this feels fucking awesome to finally be able to do this but now that i've had like a uh a proper run, a test run of the costume. I, I know what improvements I need to make for next year because yeah, no one could hear me and I couldn't hear most people. So I was like, I need to rig up some kind of like voice box, like the, uh, like the fucking stormtroopers. But then I also got to figure out some way to like amplify the sound so I can hear it when people are talking to me. Cause I'm just kind of like in a fucking walking deprivation tank at that point. And the eyes lit up like the show, but as soon as I turned the eyes on, I couldn't see shit. So I finally had to like, Get a man up like, all right, I'm going to turn the light on, but I can't see when these people are done taking their photos. So just come up and give me a little tap when I can like go back to seeing. <laughs> so yeah, I think I need to make some uh, improvements on the mask. I, I saw a couple people making some like hard, like helmet versions of the mask. I may, I may upgrade to that and that there'd be a little bit more room for uh, audio and, and a- amplification inside of it. And it might not, it might breathe a little better if, uh, if it's uh not just latex like touching my face. Oh, come on. I know you love a little rate latex. Yeah, it's at at some point we're like trying to communicate with like hand signals cuz I'm trying to tell y'all things and y'all can't like Amanda fails at charades. I'm like trying to like what what like poke point stick do there. <laughs> I'm like I'm like fuck. Yeah, definitely need microphones in that thing for uh for next time uh, I wear it. I'm not going to be your handler. (laughs) I'm going to be like, hey, Joe, there's an escalator. Let's see if you survive. (laughs) Like, like I could see marriages ending over that. (laughs) It's close. It's close. like, I'm like, I need you to guide me because I can't see. And then I got tired of like Amanda not knowing. So I I just started like, I'm like, fuck it. I'm leading the path. If I hit something, I hit something. (laughs) So I'm like, it was literally the blind leading the blind at that point. Cause I, I just like took off like, fuck it. We're going to go do a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I sort of found it hilarious, but at the same time, it's like, I can't fucking help. Cause I can't understand either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like, I mean, even if I just had like, if I couldn't figure out a way to amplify the sound, if I could at least have a voice box that way I could like, ask or tell y'all do you know what what's going on i might not be able to hear your response but at least you could like know what i was trying to tell you at that point <laughs> well 
I think if you're going to have somebody lead you around, the person leading you should probably know where they're going. <laughs> yeah. Or, okay, we're going here, and that's where you're staying put. Have fun, Joe. <laughs> I'm going down here because uh, there's whiskey and uh, cocktails. Yeah, I, I did a bad job as a, a, a direct. Like, I should have, like, given y'all instructions before I put the mask on. Like, hey, here's what I want to do. And, other than, like, get in the elevator, and now I'm going <laughs> And y'all like, we don't know what you're doing. <laughs> At least we can laugh about it now. Wait. Are you okay? How, how's your marriage, Joe? She hasn't divorced me yet, and yeah, you know, she only she she's not threatened to kill me any more than she usually does. So, we're good. <laughs> so, did you see any other uh, cool cosplays? Uh, that, uh... yeah, yeah, so many, <laughs> so many that I don't even remember what all I saw. Like, it, it's always crazy to me because Rachel'll be like, "Oh, what did you see?" And I'm like, "All the things." <laughs> So then I started, you know, like, you know, she's like, well, you just got to invite me. I'll, I'll go with you at least for a day. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and uh, so I, I started showing her photos from, you know, some of the Facebook cosplay groups and everything. And she's like, well, I dropped you off and all I saw was anime stuff. And I said, you dropped me off. All you saw was the outside of one lobby. Like, you did not see Dragon Con. No. There's five hotels of uh Like, of and, and that's the thing. Like, until people experience it, like, it, it's hard to put in perspective just how vast and varied Dragon Con truly is. Like, yeah, I mean, that's one of the... Kind of one of the reasons I don't end up at mo more panels. Cause I just love the the people watching of it, you know, hanging out, smoking a cigar, watching the all the uh, photo shoots come through, and and the hard work these people put into their uh, their outfits. I mean, we watched a little bit of the uh, costume contest this year, and I mean, so the massive big suits is like always impressing me. Like the, cause I know it's got to be a bitch to get that stuff there too, because all these people coming from like out of it's not like us where we you know one Marta train away, but. These people come from out of state. But dude, with like even a giant even if you're on Marta, outfit or something. Like, do you remember the years? It's like, okay, we got two boxes of fucking mason jars of pie. We got six pillows. We got you know fucking three briefcases each. Like, just to do that from Marta to the hotel <laughs> for that thirty minutes was a fucking nightmare. Like, that was enough to be like, if it can't fit in my suitcase, I'm not fucking doing it, man. <laughs> oh. Like, yeah, we're gonna you know. Find somebody with a van and just load pelican cases worth of shit. And just have yeah. the van show up, drop off, and all right, dude, here's gas money to get you back north. <laughs> <laughs> See you Monday. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, hell, we took the people walking this year, around, was... <laughs> you know, watching, you know, with like seven foot fucking swords. Yeah, like I'm sorry, I'm I'm not dragging that shit. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Oh, uh, and all the the freaking probably second most to the Barbies. There was a lot of good omens cosplay and some big ass angel wings I saw this year, which makes walking down a hallway interesting. <laughs> yeah, and some of the wings this year just 
fucking impressive. Not not just the wingspans, but the actual like like making individual feathers out of uh, what looked like some kind of uh, foam. So they like when the wind blew, they kind of they kind of like just floated. It was it was insane. And the you're a a, a fan of dogs. Uh, the people that brought service animals and uh, uh, emotional support animals, I guess that cosplayed their dogs. I saw a lady with two corgis dressed up as Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Yeah. I was like, that's hilarious. But that also led to a lot of drama this year, too, though, because <laughs> apparently the the emotional support dog does not receive the same training. No, you got to have actual your, training to be a service dog. So You know, and, and that, that led to a few incidents. And, and that's the other thing, too. Like, you know, I, I, I saw... For whatever reason, you know, people just couldn't make it, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, during con, it's sort of the norm for people to be like, okay, Facebook's my bitch rant, you know, and people's like, oh my God, what's going on this year? All the negativity. And I'm like, yeah. Have you, you seen got Facebook? That's where. 50, 60,000 people, you know, upwards to. I didn't. Did I you think, see I think final numbers? Sixty-five, seventy. I think was the because I know they capped it again this year, and tickets and I, did sell out at the last minute, or at least the day passes did. So yeah, I think I think we hit that seventy so, cap last year. You know, I with that, and you see a few hundred negative posts, like that's because everybody else is having a damn good time. Yeah, the people out there on the floor, yo, know, look like they're having a good time. I didn't really personally see any any problems. Well, I'd, yeah, I mean, me either, you know. I think there was one where, eh, it wasn't even an incident. I mean, I, I, saw, but, I saw a couple medical issues. It was like, a, yeah, some guy went down, and but that happens every year. Speaking either, of medical, alcohol or what about exhaustion. the uh, the IV hydration station this year down in the Marriott? Yeah, that was new. I mean, I've I've heard of that in in Vegas and stuff. I mean, they have like IV buses that'll go around to help you hang out. Yeah, but they had a whole little like IV hydration vitamin whatever station. That was pretty cool. I you didn't because I don't like yeah needles at this point because my blood blood pressure is so low. <laughs> but I mean, it looked cool. It'd be like. Wall of hydration, here I am. I mean, last time I tried to give blood, I almost fainted, so uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to let... I don't want to pass out at Dragon Con, so I'm, I'm going to avoid the IV station, just in case. But that was kind of a cool... Th I, one thing I wish they would have is... Uh, and they... I vaguely remember seeing it at one point, is like, people giving out massages. Like, just like the chair massages. Because definitely, like... By Sunday, I'm like, because like literally, as soon as we left Con, before we made it home, we stopped at our chiropractors and got <laughs> got touched up. It was like, yeah, I would definitely like a, a you know, just a fucking back rub at some point during the weekend. I'll see what your problem was. <laughs> you know, I, I I ran up seven flights of stairs multiple times. <laughs> you did it one more time than I did because you forgot something, had to do it, do another lap. But yeah, we took the stairs. I don't normally do that. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm actually in better shape than I've ever been. <laughs> I can take stairs. Still isn't fun, but we did it. And you got your first trip to uh, the uh, uh, con suite? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this we month. hit it at a weird hour, and there was like 
just chips. We didn't get any, any, everyone else was, had ramen noodles and we just had like chips and, uh, and hot sauce, which was actually pretty tasty at two in the morning, but <laughs> we were, we were between food reloads, so we didn't get to really, uh, enjoy the greatness of con suite, but <laughs> I saw it went, it exists. Ran into, uh, things that I didn't see. The uh, the street preacher protest people that usually you know is out there. Yeah, that's pretty much a staple of con. I don't know. I guess they took this year off, or they decide the world's too fucked up that they there's like it's beyond saving now. We can't do anything about it. <laughs> um, they're, just, they're just finally like, nah, we're all we're all fucked. We're just not gonna bother. <laughs> Yeah, we had one, you know, aggressive homeless man that... <laughs> yeah, that's... That was... You could definitely tell that, um... I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't typically put myself in a situation to where I feel like I'm going to need a cop or security to feel secure. But, you know, normally, like, Thursday rolls around and... You know, I remember working, you know, at, at the Marriott several years ago. Um, and, you know, just it didn't matter which side of the Marriott you were on. There were going to be like eight to ten people sleeping around it. And normally Dragon Con, it's like, I don't care where you go, but it's not going to be here. You know, this year, though, like I noticed a bit more, you know, folks that typically, you know, would not be as close to that premise, you know, there, <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean, most of the time, no issues, but like you said, you did have, you know, dude put hands on you and I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you like, you might want to, might want to rethink. Cause that, that's, <laughs> that's where I start drawing the line. Like, I don't care. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll bullshit and talk to anybody. If I got some food, whatever, I'll throw it your way. No, I'm not giving you cash. But you know what? Yeah, you you need need something in your belly. You need me to buy you, you know, some hydration. Fuck yeah, let's let's go over here and make it happen. But you know, don't be walking up, fucking putting hands on me and shit, though. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I just got a side step that... McCa- and you just go, bro. That's not the man you want to put hands on. <laughs> he took the hit at that point and continued on his way to the uh, next group. But uh, yeah, that was that was kind of funny. But I mean, we did have a little bit of, and it may be just kind of. Atlanta's as a whole, because, you know, defund the cops and all that, a lot more crime this year than I've ever heard of at Dragon Con. I mean, people usually that are parking off-site, there's always vehicles getting broken into, but there were vehicles getting broken in the hotel, like, you know, parking, and help rooms getting burglarized this year that I've never heard of in the past. Yeah, I... I I don't know. I'm not... I wasn't it definitely there. wasn't a lack of security because I mean there was everywhere we went there was cops in the hotels. Well, but, yeah, I know I've like never... you know the 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 Hyatt, you know like in in previous years you just got on a fucking elevator and you went. They never disabled you know the if you were going to go to a room floor you needed to have a room key. Now that still doesn't stop. Hey, I'm in a group of twenty other people. Yeah, man, send me to floor twenty or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, like. Or if people are getting into rooms, I mean, all they got to do is, like, snatch a freaking, you know, card off one of the maid carts and <laughs> get into rooms. But, yeah, I've never heard of people like, yeah, we woke up and somebody had stolen our shit while we were sleeping. I mean, that was, 
yeah, kind of scary if it, if it yeah occurred. Yeah, yeah, it you we yeah benefit of the doubt. You know we've yeah, but yeah, it was like, and again, maybe it's the same thing like you said earlier about people complaining. We saw a, a vocal minority on Facebook talking about these incidents when there was maybe three of them. You know, it, it just well, looks the, like there was fifty. The car break-ins have, especially in the last five years, like really, really like ramped up in Atlanta. Like Atlanta isn't. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, I'm not going to put it up there with you know Chicago or Detroit, but you know, um, look at a lot of your major cities. And, you know, crime will be there. Yeah. I guess is is the only way, you know. And maybe maybe it's just a number density. Maybe that same amount of crime exists here in Dawsonville, but because the population's so small that it's like, <laughs> oh, we had three. Well, that percentage is still the same percentage as, you know, in Atlanta if you take all the non-criminals. Maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and I may be wrong about this, but yeah, it's just the first time of hearing that stuff kind of make it into the hotel property itself and not like the surrounding. But I'll say too, like even, you know, neighborhood groups, you know, like it's not uncommon to be like, yeah, every house on this street, like just got hit or, you know, the, the oh, old, yeah. you know, used to be like subdivision door lock and they would just go through a subdivision, hit like every unlocked car in a night. You know, I've worked plenty of those cases where it's like, you know, find an opportunity and just, yeah. Like our trucks Rack get targeted, you know, with work a lot, you know, white work truck. Oh yeah, that's probably a blue collar guy and blue collar guys like guns. There's probably a gun in there. If nothing and, else there's like tools that you can Well, take no, the pawn like shop that's and that's the thing is if they knew what they were looking at. Now, granted everything's fucking serialized, so you're going to get caught at some <laughs> point, you know, but at the same time like they they don't take anything. It's almost like smash the window. Okay, there's no pistol or anything in here, and they get the fuck out and move on to the next one. Yeah, there's a couple. You guys, know, and uh, it's like, well, there was a Pelican case with fifty thousand dollars worth of test equipment in it, but <laughs> yeah, there's a couple guys I, that uh, this is kind of off to- off topic, but they're like guys I know out in Texas. They're like, at this point, I'm tired of like replacing the windows, so I just leave my vehicle unlocked. I don't keep anything in there. So it's like they open the vehicle, can't find anything, and, you know, they shut the door and go on about their day. I'm, I'm tired of my fucking windows being smashed. <laughs> so I just, like, quit I mean, locking my vehicle. That's the thing that sucks, too, because it's so much cheaper to replace a windshield than it is a side window. So pro tip, you can't <laughs> get in a vehicle, break the windshield. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, So as we kind of uh, try to bring this... Uh, to a close because we got a lot of interviews to drop. Do you have a highlight, favorite thing, favorite cosplay, favorite hell, favorite thing we saw in the the giant ass line at the vendor hall? <laughs> I mean, that was the that was the other thing too that I think you know social media really like every every ten minutes was how's the line? You know what? It's like a theme park. You get in line, you commit to the line. Yeah. Eventually, you're gonna get to the end. Like, dude, Plan the line on doing was all long your shopping shit. one time. It's like I'm not waiting in that line twice. So it's like, all right, whatever day you want to do, Plant, That's your vendor hall day. Make sure you buy everything you're gonna buy while you're in there because you don't want. But even though that was the absolute longest I've ever seen that line, we were there maybe an hour. It was like any other panel line. 
it moved fairly steady and fairly quickly compared. I hate standing in one place for an hour, but that but one it seemed kept like we were moving. constantly yeah. moving. You know, I mean, it's like from I the said, outside, it looked horrendous. But once you got in it, yeah, it was forty-five minutes, maybe an hour to get in, which is not. But then again, ungodly. like, dude, some of con friends, you make line friends, you, you know. Back when, you know, I, I used to partake in other things, you would meet, you know, other kinds of friends. Um, Speaking of which, uh, it was one of the days you were, me and Amanda went out on our own and it was down there smoking. I think you were taking a, a nap. Uh, guy in this weird, it was an original costume. It was not a a character. It was some kind of like weird skull mask pirate thingy. He had a staff that he called his staff of debauchery that had like those little glass glass flasks full of whiskey some like cups he even had like a little travel humidor that looked almost like a little golf bag which i'm like it had like a belt hook where you could like hook it on a loop i'm like i need that that's but he's seen me smoking and he come over there and he's like he's like see you're smoking and we end up having a good conversation turned out the guy was like law enforcement and he gave me i can't i wish i remember what kind of whiskey it was but it was like a hundred dollar bottle hundred dollars a bottle of whiskey that i got a, a and you know, had a great conversation with, with this guy while we finished our cigars that probably wouldn't have ever had an opportunity to run into if uh, it wasn't for cigars and dragon con no it was all the debauchery <laughs> that's that's what brings us together is debauchery oh and what was that the stupid it was dumb but it made me laugh was the uh onion cutting ninja yes <laughs> i saw that just started crack it up i'm like that's funny that or Kool-Aid Man making his random appearance. <laughs> like, I caught him one time, like, we were walking across uh, a sky bridge or something, and he was up on one of the, the higher floors like he was poised to run through the wall. <laughs> oh, speaking of running through things, the one cosplay that ma- that cracked me up, we're sitting there out the Hilton, and... Uh, there's a guy dresses a train from the boys. And if you remember that scene from like episode one of the boys where he runs through uh uh dude's girlfriend and just explodes her, you know, he's got a bunch of a cram equipment. He like, he grabs these two Barbie cosplayers, like a, you know, a Barbie and a Ken in the cowboy outfits. He's like, Hey, will y'all help me film something? They're like, yeah, sure. He's like, all right, y'all stand here and hold hands. And then Ken like realizes what they're doing. And he's just like, Oh God, this is about to get dark. And I kind of like make eye contact with him. Cause I'm laughing my ass off. Cause I, I had the thought about the same time he did. I go, bro, I had the same thought. And he's like, Oh yeah, this is about to be fucked up. And sure enough, a train runs past. He comes back, takes Ken out of the sh- shot and then hands Barbie two severed hands. He had in his bag. And I'm like, Oh, I so want to see this video when he gets done <laughs> yes. editing it. But that was hysterical. Just, just the look at that dude's face when he realizes what's going on. He's like, Oh no, this is about to be dark. <laughs> I don't know if I love her, but now I love her. <laughs> and they flipped it. Instead of Barbie getting destroyed, it was Ken got blown up in this version of the video. <laughs> oh. But yeah, that made me, cause yeah, just me and him looking at each other, like two complete strangers and both of us having the same thought. And we were just like, Oh damn. <laughs> so, um, the other big one, I guess. I guess Bucky's is now a cosplay. So many of the Bucky's onesies running around. Simple costume. Hell, I, that, there was a onesies party, but it was the same time as the uh, cigar meetup. So 
I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, I, I had that thought. Let's go to Bucky's, get some onesies for the onesies party, but it was, a uh, schedule was off. Speaking of I which, just, we haven't talked about it yet. Just want to buy a beaver costume, <laughs> and that way I can play Primus, why known as Big Brown Beaver. Uh, last thing, the 10th annual uh, cigar meetup. We we finally broke, we passed the curse. Because our, our running joke is anytime we go to an event, we win an ashtray. And this time Amanda won the ashtray, so we, we've passed that on. <laughs> Oh, uh, but it was fun as always hanging out with those guys, you know, having some cigars. We even brought a handful of our Dragon Con, our Dragon Con, our Cigar Nerd Cigars, uh, which I need to order some more because I'm down to like, I think I got one left. Uh, gave them out to some people at the, uh, at the, at the thing and, uh, had some old fashions it was the first alcohol I've had in a year. And it was like, I was like, ah, oh, this is nice. It doesn't last long enough, but <laughs> do like coming to the phone booth when we can. Ah, but that's all we got for you this Dragon Con. Uh, We'll be right back with some of our interviews, and we'll see y'all again next year. six years, the 42 cast has worked to provide panels discussing topics from every corner of the Geekosphere. Continue with us as we count down to episode 200 and try something a little different. Celebrity Guest Contributions Yes, Emma Dumont from The Gifted is partnering with us to talk about science, movies, and so much more. You can only find this great content on the 42 cast. It's your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. And we're here with another interview. This with this time with uh, Kim Stedman, uh, NASA JPL. Uh, uh, welcome to our collective shows. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, first question. Okay. Uh, first, if, if there's a space mission, you seem to have had your fingerprints in it to some degree. How did that work? Was that just luck? And and you got to touch so many different missions. Well, I guess it is luck, because JPL hired me, and uh, the first mission I was working on actually got canceled. And then I went to Cassini, and I was there for about 15 years, and then I went to, at some point, went to MER, the Mars Exploration Rovers, and worked on Spirit and Opportunity, but mostly Opportunity, and then uh, to Curiosity and Perseverance. So, What's some of your education background? I got my bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering at Georgia Tech. So, um, your official job title, systems engineer. What to people who don't know what is what is that? <laughs> well, the systems engineer is I like to call it the captain of the starship. Um, 
we have to know what everyone's job is to a, a, enough of an extent that if this subsystem has a problem, then I know that it affects this subsystem, that subsystem, and that instrument. And so as a systems engineer, you work the problems that go across um, the, oh my gosh, what is it called? They go across the, um, the different, or, yeah, the, the different organizations that are mm. in the spacecraft. What was your first canceled mission? Well, it was a technology mission called X2000, and so the idea was that you would deliver this, this avionics hardware and uh, to two or three different missions that were coming up, and, uh, and it was, it's difficult, right, because if a mission goes to Europa, and then the Jupiter system, there's all this radiation, but if you go to Mars, there's not that much radiation, and so it just never really worked. So does that mean that it's canceled and the thing that was there never never went into space or just hits to ride on a different... No, different no, it, it was canceled and nothing ever happened. Oh. So that, that happens occasionally. What was your favorite mission? Uh, Opportunity rover. That little rover was just amazing. She was supposed to last 90 days and she lasted 15 years. And it took a global dust storm that we hadn't seen in our lifetime to take her out because she was uh, solar powered. And when you have a dust storm on Mars, it kicks a bunch of dust up in the atmosphere. And so if you were standing on Mars during a dust storm, it would look like dark. Hmm. So no light gets through. And so for a solar-powered rover, that's really bad. What made you want to get into the field you're in? Oh, my gosh, Star Trek. <laughs> I, I, I grew up watching reruns of the original series of Star Trek. And then in 1977, I went to see Star Wars. I'm like, I have to do this. <laughs> that's that's Star Trek has been a common uh, answer, like all the scientists that we've yep, seen. Yep. What's um, your favorite thing that was sci-fi when you were a child that is now sci-reality? <laughs> well, I always wanted to beam down, but we don't, we don't get to do that. Oh, yeah. But then when you get to the next generation and they have the, the, uh, the pads and everything, <laughs> and then now we have the iPads and the phone, you know, because at first the, there were flip phones, like just like the communicators and... So having the phone that can give me all the information is like the best thing ever. Yeah, it's like science inspires art, that which in turn like the art inspires. <laughs> yeah, inspires it, the science. Yeah, they forward-thinking people write these science fiction shows, and a lot of what they envision comes to pass. The Sherlock instruments mm -hmm. in your bio that, that that threw me for a loop, and I didn't understand it. Well, that's okay because I probably don't understand it either. What is it? What is it? In basically, in theory. Well, uh, it's a Raman spectrometer, and so what it does, I was the operations lead for the Sherlock instrument, and so my job on the Sherlock instrument was to make sure that once we got to Mars, we could actually command the instrument, and we had the procedures and processes in place to do uplink and downlink. But it fires a laser, and it's a donut laser, so um, if you have a lot of dust and you fire the laser, then you can see that it's in a circle. And so the laser hits the ground, mm -hmm. and then it reflects. Yes, and then it reflects back up, and then the spectrometer can tell you sort of what that rock's made out of. And the reason that we took the Raman spectrometer was because we're looking for past signs of life, and that's a really good instrument to do that. So it, it, it kicks up dust by a laser. Well, it doesn't really kick up the dust. It fires the laser at the rock, and then it reflects back. Okay. And so uh, we like the rock to be clear of dust, otherwise you're just going to be finding out what the dust is made of. 
And what we want to know is what the rock is made out of. And how far down could you look when you turned on that instrument? Well, the instrument gets really, really close to the surface. Um, so before we use Sherlock or Pixel, which are both on the arm of the rover, we do an abrade patch usually, which is a little, it makes a 11 millimeter deep circle. Uh, so we've cut into the rock so we don't get the, uh, yeah, and, but it's about this big around, and uh, so that we get the interior of the rock, not just the exterior that's been in the weather for, for you know, probably millions of years, so. And that's how, yeah, and I don't know much else about how it works, so. Because I'm an engineer. Uh, finding a way of life on Mars. Okay, can you repeat that? Are the rovers, um, finding uh, a sign of life. Well, that's what we're looking for. So the Curiosity rover, well, the Mars Exploration rovers were kind of like follow the water, find the, figure out the history of water on, on Mars. And then Curiosity, her big thing was to find out, was Mars ever habitable? Did all the conditions necessary for life to form, were they ever on Mars? And she found out, yes. And so then you send Perseverance, to look for, among other things, past signs of life. So we're looking for a little bio, you know, proof that maybe six million years ago there was some life on Mars. But we haven't found anything yet. No doom portals, anything of that effect? No, and, and no little uh, Martians running in front of the rover holding up signs yet. We all wait for that. What, um, where are you currently? Well, currently, I am a tactical uplink lead on the Perseverance rover, and I'm also a group supervisor. So as a group supervisor, I'm in charge of a group of people that do planning and sequencing for surface missions. So I have 20 people that directly report to me. How, uh, some we, we asked, how, because it takes so long from what you, like, you know, start a mission to, like, the mission being in progress, that technology kind of changes after it already leaves your hands. Like, what is the challenge of dealing with, like, you know, technology that is now 10, 15 years old? Because uh, it takes that long to, you know, get to the, the actual start of the mission. Well, the, the technology on the spacecraft aren't the problem. It's the technology on Earth that is the challenge. Because when I worked on the Cassini mission, it lasted so long, because it took Cassini many years to just get to, to Saturn. I almost said Jupiter, thinking of Clipper. Um, to get there... And then we operated her for so long that all of our software for building some of the, the sequences ran on sun machines. And eventually they didn't make those machines anymore. You couldn't go buy spare parts for them. So what the people, the, the ground people that uh, kept our machines running had to do was go to eBay and buy used sun machines and then, you know, take them apart for, and use them for spare parts. Yeah, no one thinks about that part of the, yeah, of the mission. Yeah, it's like, no. It's like technology here on Earth is advancing. It's like, no, we still need the, that you know, yeah, old uh, system to, to because read the stuff to, coming to in. to rewrite all your ground software to run on new machines, that takes a lot of money. And when you get out of your prime mission, money is very scarce. And the prime mission on that one, because, because uh, the, the, what was the thing that you just said? The thing that lasted 15 years. Oh, opportunity. Because that, uh, that wasn't supposed to be, now I see what you're saying now. That was supposed to last how long? 90 sols. Okay. Lasted much longer. Yeah. Very basic question. Tactical uplink. What is that? So um, when we deal with our spacecraft, we have uplink and downlink. Uplink is you're preparing all the sequences and files to go to the spacecraft to tell the spacecraft what to do. To go, so it's going from Earth to 
where it is. Right, to the spacecraft for, okay. for Perseverance, to Perseverance sitting on Mars. We can send files and sequences directly to her. Downlink is getting data from the spacecraft and figuring out what happened. So usually it's a you know pretty standard process. Oh, here we got all the images that we needed, but oh, this one was only a partial, so we're going to need to retransmit that to get it again. Or, and then you look at um, how all your uh, devices are doing, and you do trending to make sure that like the uh, motors on the arm aren't degrading. And so it's 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 I call it the news. So downlink is what happened, oh, and yeah. they look at all the information that comes down and say, okay, so everything that you planned yesterday worked except for this one image, and it's not down, but we'll get it down tomorrow. And so, yeah. And they call it tactical uplink because we all come in like at 8 a.m. is our normal start time. And you look at what came down from the rover yesterday, what have the scientists planned ahead of time, what, what is the goal for today's plan, and then you build all the sequences and files that uh, will be radiated to the spacecraft later that day. So on average, how long does that data transfer and everything take? Oh, well, I mean, how long does it take to get there? Uh, just, you know. If, you're, you, know, if like you need to tell it to do something, how long is like from that? Well, we usually only have half an hour uh, to send files to the rover. But our planning day to build everything uh, it goes from about six to ten hours, depending on what we're doing and how persnickety our tools are. But every day at 9.30 a.m. on Mars, we send sequences and files to the rover. It's pretty awesome. 30 minutes and that's <laughs> Yeah, well, you just, yeah, it takes about 30 takes minutes. Takes that longer than that double <laughs> Well, yeah, and a lot of times we have a lot left over. Because if we're sending it at 2,000 bits per second, then it gets up there pretty darn quick. What advice do you have for high schoolers, middle schoolers that want to get into the science fields? Well, I think that take uh, all the classes you can. And what I tell people is a lot of people are like, I want to do exactly this. But, you know, that may not be where you should be. So keep your eyes open and take advantage of any opportunity to do something that maybe isn't this, but it's adjacent. And then find what you really love because everybody's like, I want to work on a spacecraft. Well, there's a lot of things you can do on a spacecraft. You can write the software for the spacecraft. You can build the parts for the spacecraft. You can put the spacecraft together. You can operate the spacecraft after she's up there. So you have to narrow it down to really what do you want to do and what fits you. Because you have to be in a job that really fits you so that you can, you know, be awesome. Oh, you, you've made the work with the rovers and all that. It is there still like a reason to put like a human there? I mean, are, are we getting all the all the signs we can from our, our robot friends, or is well, it, you I, know? I mean, you know, the, I think the Apollo missions. That's one thing that they did show us is that when you have a human there, then they can they can do magic, because once they uh, train the Apollo astronauts to think like a geologist, they made some really fantastic discoveries. And our rover, we can make her smarter, and we can tell her we're looking for this kind of rock that kind of looks like this, and, and we want to shoot the supercam with it. And, you know, after a drive, she can select the target and shoot supercam. But it's very limited, and, and a human can just make those decisions, you know, w with their knowledge. They, they can make the decisions better than the rover can. But it's a lot easier to get the rover there. <laughs> and the rover, she can, can stay a lot longer. <laughs> she can stay a lot longer, and right now we don't have a way to safely get humans from here to there.
because you're exposed to a lot of radiation and all, all this kind of stuff that is not good for our human bodies just in the trip to get there. Do you think that'll really happen where people will ever be on Mars? Oh, I think so. so N not in my lifetime, but I think it'll happen. So Mars is uh, filled with a lot of radiation? Well, uh, it doesn't have an atmosphere or a magnetic field like we do. And so the, if, once you're on the surface there, you just don't have much protection. So you would have to have something to protect you. Like a, you'd have to take a building or you would have to go underground or do something like that to protect yourself. Is NASA thinking of building a shelter there on Mars? Uh, if they find a way to... Well, not at this moment. They're, uh, right now, as far as I know, there's no human spaceflight plan to Mars. They're trying to get there. To Mars? Yeah, they're, tr they're, they're trying to get to where they can send humans to Mars, but I think the next journey for NASA with human spaceflight is to the moon. They're going back to the moon. Can a planet like Mars naturally create an atmosphere? No. No, its atmosphere was stripped away a long time ago. Okay, remember, engineer not scientists, but I know it doesn't have one now. It, it has a very, very thin, thin atmosphere. So, um, Mars, how long would a human last on Mars if there's no protection? You're not going to last very long. You're not even going to get there. You're not going to get there, Dave. So. Um, you said we're probably going back to the moon. What's, what's new that we need to learn there that we've not kind of previously yeah now you're, you're talking something, something that uh, I don't really have a lot of knowledge of because ah. uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory is uh, the leader in robotic exploration and so I haven't worked on Artemis or any of those plans so uh, I would have to google that to see exactly what their <laughs> well, plans what's are what's kind of next for your department like what, what's the thing on the horizon you're looking forward to like getting into well I mean at JPL we have a couple things going on I think you guys might have talked to Trina Ray but we have Europa mm -hmm. Clipper coming up and that's going to be really exciting that launches within the next year and, um, and we're hoping uh, for more sample return to happen and because uh, Perseverance is collecting samples for an, uh, hopefully an eventual return to earth because our laboratories in here that are here are so much better than what we can put on a rover and send it to Mars. And so that's what we're hoping for. That's the first time we've gotten something physically back. From it would there. be the first time that we got something physically back from a planet. Nice. Yes, and that it's exciting. Get goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, I'm that's hoping it will. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping it will happen um, because Perseverance is taking the samples and uh, we're storing the samples inside the rover. We did take 10 samples and drop them on Mars to create a, a sample depot. So in case something happens to Perseverance and she can't deliver the samples to a sample return lander, then at least they can go and get the samples that we've dropped on Mars. Wow. I think What's the thing that people need to know about the NASA, uh, NASA Museum, the Rocket Center in Huntsville? Oh my God! Because we we spent some time there this past yeah. summer. Yeah. went to space camp there. What's the thing that tourists need to know about this facility that they might otherwise skip? Well, okay, I work in California. I, I, I don't. I yeah. in Huntsville. No, no, it's in Pasadena, California, okay. and so uh, so yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't been to Huntsville yeah. since I was in graduate school, yeah. but. I love going down to Kennedy Space Center, which is an amazing place, and they have a, a space shuttle on, on view there. And also in California, we have one of the space shuttles. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, it was amazing how they got that there. But um, they're also building, uh, they have the only external tank and two solid rocket boosters. Of course, there's no propellant in them. 
And so the way that California Science Center is going to display their shuttle is like it's ready for launch, like it's on the pad. Nice. It's going to be straight up. And they've started ground, they've broken ground on building that, that building. But I think their plan is to build part of the building and then put the shuttle in there and then build the rest of it around build it. Around it. Yeah. yeah. I could be wrong about that, but, but I know it's going to be stored standing up, which is going to be amazing. I think we're about at our time limit. Uh, where can people follow what uh, what y'all do? Keep up with the, everything JPL and, and Mars. Oh yeah, you can go to jpl.nasa.gov, and all of our missions are there. Perseverance has her own website, and the images that come down from the rover, they almost immediately go on the raw images website. So you can see things literally minutes after the scientists themselves see them. Nice. It's really awesome. Uh, anything you want to say just in closing about your career or anything else? No, no, I've been very fortunate, and uh, I love working at, at JPL. It's a lot of fun, and like you said, I've gotten very lucky to work on some really, really cool and amazing missions. All right, well, thank you for your time. Uh, release you back to the con. Uh, have, a, have a good weekend. Thanks. <laughs> and welcome back. We're here with Dr. Uh, Muhammad Noor. Uh, Welcome to uh, our podcast uh, <laughs> interviews. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. You guys been having fun at Dragon Con so far? Oh yeah, it's it being Sunday morning. It's like everybody's like, oh, we're yeah, <laughs> energy is <laughs> energy is yeah, getting low. Yeah, not fair. Uh, so, first off, uh, who are you? What do you do? Like how you know your scientific background to, before we get into your more. Uh <laughs> sure, sure. So I'm a professor of biology at Duke University. Um, I'm also currently the interim vice provost for academic affairs, which is, I always like to say, is one of the most generic titles you can have at a university. <laughs> um, in terms of scientific background, um, I have an undergraduate degree in biology, and I have a PhD in ecology and evolution. And I do research in evolutionary genetics, and I also teach classes in both evolution and in genetics. So that's, a, that's a, more the scientific <laughs> side of my, my work. <laughs> Uh, John Hessler here from Geeky Cool with Dr. Muhammad Noor. Hello. And I'm, of course, sitting next to my friends from Cigar Nerds, the podcast that is apparently amazing. Woo-hoo. And I will definitely start tuning into it. Mm-hmm. What made you want to go into the field of biology? Oh, that's a great question. So as a kid, I always loved animals. I used to, like, catch wild bugs. I used to love those June bugs we had in Hampton, Virginia. I'd catch those and put them on ice and see if they'd stop moving and put them in the freezer for a while and go release them. I just loved, <laughs> like, playing with animals and things like that. I just I loved reading about it. My my parents are are, are also from STEM, and the, they're both engineers. So they would always uh, encourage that sort of behavior, too. And my father was in aerospace engineering, so he encouraged a lot of space talk, too. So I'd get some books. He, he worked not for NASA, but physically at NASA. He would sometimes get me books from there, too. So I had this one called On Mars, and this was right after the Viking space missions. And it was fascinating. I had these pictures of Mars. Like, oh, my gosh, it's a planet. It's like actual photos from another planet. So that was always really cool. In college, though, what really got me was um, I started taking the introductory biology classes, and those were not actually that interesting. But then my junior year of college, I took a class in genetics. I was like, okay, this is pretty good. I actually put it off because people had said it was hard. But actually, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was a little challenging, but it actually had a cool logic to it. But then the second semester junior year, I took this class called evolutionary genetics. Oh, I used to sit in the front row of this class 
and just you know just loving like oh wow here's the story and here's how genetics applies over time to make new species to make change within species i used to record the class with my tape recorder and i'd listen to it later when i was working out like i want to hear it again <laughs> it was just so cool <laughs> and that's the best part of sitting out with like you know the passion that without any scientists we've sat down like just the passion for their their field yeah. Yeah. um and it never gets boring. Even now, I mean, I've been working in this field for, you know, over 30 years. I, I love it. It's still <laughs> so cool. So uh, kind of one of the reasons you're here at DragonCon is yeah. you do a little uh, science advising for some, from some shows we've, uh, and movies we've heard about. How did you get into that? Oh, amazing. Actually, there's a DragonCon connection. Really? <laughs> to that. So it's interesting. If you go back to when I was in college, right after I took that, uh, or right before I took that genetics class, I remember talking with a professor there, and he said, what would you like to do? And I said, you know what I would love to do? I would love to advise on the science in Star Trek. <laughs> Literally actually said this back <laughs> in college. This was in 1990 or so, something like that. But um, the way I got into it, well, first I got into coming to conventions because my daughter back in 2014 said, why don't we go to DragonCon? I'd never even heard of DragonCon. Why don't we go to DragonCon? She was into Doctor Who at the time. She saw that Patrick Stewart and other Star Trek people were going to be there. So she's like, I bet Dad would want to come to this. So we did, and we had a blast. And I saw there was a science track and all these other sort of science talks here. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I asked uh, Garrett Wong, who's mm -hmm. the director of the Trek track here, if I could come and give a science talk. And he said, and he said, absolutely. So we love to have more science content. We love to have more of the real science behind what's going on there. So I did the first of those in 2016. And I started giving talks then. And actually, one of the people I was giving talks with sometimes here at DragonCon was Dr. Aaron McDonald, who you might know is, is the primary science advisor for the whole Star Trek universe. She's, I like to say she's the sheriff of science in Star Trek here. <laughs> but in 20, I think it was 18, I guess, it, I think it was 2018, either 2018 or 2019, after Star Trek Discovery had come out, we gave a talk together here at DragonCon about science and Star Trek Discovery. Neither of us had any association with the franchise still. And a couple of people sat in the back of the, of the room. It was Mary Chifo, Ken Mitchell, and Jane Brooke. So they're, they're, of course, all actors from Star Trek Discovery. Jane, turns out, had actually gone to Duke University for her undergrad. So she came up afterwards and talked to me and said, hey, I went to Duke. And, and, and we chatted, and we got to be friends. I even invited her to come out to Duke to talk to my class there. But she then connected me with Erica Lippold, who's one of the writers for Star Trek Discovery. Erica connected me to Michelle Paradise, who's a showrunner, and then eventually I got to be you know, somebody who could actually consult on starting season three of Star Trek Discovery. What's really fascinating is Dr. Aaron McDonald went through a completely different route, but right around the same time. So when I got the call from Michelle Paradise saying, we want you to consult on the storyline for season three of Discovery, she said, we want to pair you with this, with this new physicist we just brought on board, Dr. Aaron McDonald, <laughs> who we'd already given talks with together. So it was, it was fantastic. I think we spoke to her a couple of years yes. ago. That, yeah, that yeah. It's like... What um, I understand, like uh, whatever astrophysicists, mm -hmm. like tech technology yeah. advisors, yeah, biology's a little biology, harder. Like, yeah. what's, uh... well, this is one of the reasons I probably would never be the main science advisor. I'm somebody who just gets contracted. So, I mean, obviously, like if you look at something like Star Trek or most of the sci-fi franchise, so much of it is about astrophysics, space travel, all that kind of stuff. But to seek out new life <laughs> as part of the whole thing. And they always encounter these aliens, and there's a lot of questions that come up with them. Like, how does this work? They also try to insert sometimes a lot of genetics into these episodes, sometimes not so well. <laughs> so the good news is the writers are willing to spend money and spend effort and bring somebody in and actually get it as close to right as possible. So that's where, that's where I try to do my best to do it. And I'll tell you, it's actually terrifying because... If I make a mistake, <laughs> I will be mocked by the entire community for so long. So I double and triple check, even things I'm very, very certain of. I double and triple check all the pieces. But in the end, of course, story will always trump science. So sometimes the science isn't exactly right. Because, you know, if they have to, like, go through the core of a planet and under extreme pressure, they're just going to do it. 
<laughs> so do you think being that you're a biologist and a genetist, do you think there is life out there someplace? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> I would say a hundred percent, rounding off to a hundred percent. It's not actually a hundred percent, but rounding off to a hundred percent, yes. I mean, the universe is so big. I mean, we are such a tiny, tiny little part of it. And to imagine that in all those other worlds, we didn't have that set of things, those set of criteria we associate with life, like, you know, reproduction, evolution, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's impossible to conceive that that would never have happened anywhere else, at least to me. Or do you think that, uh, you know, kind of our definition of life is based off, you know, kind of Earth biology? Do you think uh, out there there might be something that we wouldn't consider alive, but it's going up in that different style of environment that doesn't kind of apply to the same earthly laws? <laughs> We're going to come into, like, you know, rock people or you know, whatever. Yeah. You're something that evolved completely I, different. From- I can't overstate how much I love that question because <laughs> I, I have actually said that sentence a hundred times. Yes, I am, I am positive that there will be many things out there that would co- constitute life, but that we would never recognize them as alive because we have seen essentially just one instance of life. There's a lot of diversity around that one instance, but it all comes back to one origin. Mechanically, it all Yeah, the it, same. it's all connected, right? They're all offspring of the same thing. It's kind of uh, the analogy I like to say is imagine that you defined a game by having, se- having played Settlers of Catan and maybe a couple other things. We can toss in Monopoly and Rift. Yeah. Okay, so you defi- that's the way you define a game. So how do you define a game? Well, a game is, you know, oh, there's a thing where, you know, one person wins and you have dice and people sit around a table and blah, blah, Okay, what about poker? What about hacky sack? What about, <laughs> what about, you know, lacrosse? None of those would fit the definition that we call a game if you'd only ever seen that little subset of kind of related games. I'm sure that's true with, with life. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the one thing I liked was, and going back into Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know, the whole original series, mm-hmm. they basically made everybody look pretty much similar. Yeah. And then when you got to the first movie, and they did, they had Viger take mm-hmm. over the one character, and then she she called us the carbon-based units. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool because they finally broke it down yeah. to a way that we would be defined as something by something that was supposedly technologically superior to us. And it broke us down into a form that we could still understand. Totally. totally. It's analogous to what you just said. And if you go to the first season of Next Generation, remember ugly bags of mostly water. <laughs> right? It's the same kind of thing. Actually, in the original series, they did actually have a couple of exceptions, too, like the Horda, where something was not actually carbon-based, but a silicon-based. So they, they were thinking broadly, but they rarely did that. It was mostly people with prosthetics, which, of course, was just to meet the, the financial <laughs> requirements of making such an episode. Yeah, it seems like as budgets has gone up, yes. so has, like, you know, the... the so, you know, the de- attention to detail. Uh, totally. Look at the species 10C in Star Trek Discovery. Oh, like, yeah. whoa, that is like truly alien life. And that was one that, that uh, thankfully, they actually brought me in to consult with, too. It was so fun when you know, we got this call and Michelle Paradise said, we want to have truly alien aliens. We want them to communicate in some way that is not something the universal translator can just spit out the answer to. But there's going to have to be this long, iterative process associated with it. So that was fantastic to get to work on that. So is there anything outside the project that you've worked on that you're like, all right, Hollywood got that right? 
Do, is it for for uh, you know fans of yeah. uh, biology and genetics that are like, all right, if you watch this movie, you're not going to be annoyed. Uh, <laughs> okay, so well, I, was, I started to say The Martian, but that's, there's not that much biology and genetics in it. But if you're thinking specifically biology and genetics, one one series I like pretty well is Orphan Black. Mm. It's, I don't know if you guys have watched that. I mean, some of it, yeah, some yeah. Of it, yeah. The clones. I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like they, they must have some science advisor in there because like they'll mention like specific genes in there. Like, whoa, you guys like did a deep dive to pull that out. Okay, it went beyond Google for <laughs> definitely beyond Google. <laughs> so I mean, it's not perfect. Because again, always story will trump science, yeah. but it's pretty good overall. The one thing that I like. Um, going through various science fiction shows mm-hmm. <clears throat> is they always make of course they always make the planets inhospitable yeah. but hospitable enough yeah. Yeah. that we can be there and I just I'm, yeah they're not landing on gas giants usually I mean well, again the one exception being the, the species 10c one but yeah they're, they're usually pretty close to earth even if they're not earth like conditions well now going back into Star Trek Discovery, yeah, um, I really liked the way they took in the first season mm-hmm. a microorganism like a tardigrade mm-hmm. and used it mm-hmm. in such a way mm-hmm. that expanded on it mm-hmm. on what they actually do. Totally, totally. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, and. There are aspects of it which are great. There are aspects of it which are sometimes problematic. So, like with the tardigrade, I'll use that as an example first, and then we'll come back to some others. With the tardigrade, I mean, this is you know a, a microscopic organism, as you said. Um, the one tr- challenging thing, this is a common mistake with sci-fi, and this comes up with like Ant-Man and things like that too. You can't take something that's tiny and just make it gigantic, and it works, right? So, one of the reasons that ants look really strong is is because you know. By virtue of being small, they can actually carry seemingly a lot more than if they were big. There's something called the square cube law, that essentially as as, as you grow something, the square, you know, like square, if you, you know, if you were to use actual square, like a uh, factor of two, uh, so sur- uh, so area of a square versus say volume of a cube. As you grow, the volume is growing a lot faster than the, than that the area of the square. Muscle, like muscle cross section, would be going by the square, but weight and things like that would be going by the cube. So if you make something really small, it can actually be really, really strong. But if you make that same thing uh, really big, it'll actually collapse under its own weight. So this is one of the issues with something like the tardigrade. The other thing with tardigrade, too, is that uh, there's, a, there's a story out there that tardigrades can survive uh, in space. That's not untrue, but it's exaggerated a little bit. Like there are a couple, I looked up the original studies on this, and there, there was a study where the, they were taken up by the European Space Agency and put in the International Space Station, exposed to space. And for one of the species, all of them died. For the other species, just almost all of them died. <laughs> but a couple lived. So, I mean, yeah, better than people. Possible, live. not probable. Exactly. <laughs> well said. I like that. So, certainly better than people. If they were taken up a thousand people, all of them would have died. But, you know, with the tardigrade, the, there were a, a handful that made it. So, it's a little overstated. But still, you know, it's still cool. And what I like, as you said, is they're, they're trying to use the real science, the real biology to incorporate into the show. Similar to that from the first season also, if you think about the spore drive, this was clearly inspired by a TED talk by the real world Paul Stamets, who is a mycologist who studies actually fungi. And he has this talk called, you know, something like Seven Ways Mushrooms Can Save the World. And in there, he makes these quotes about extraterrestrial fungi. Clearly, this inspired Brian Fuller. You can actually go back over Brian Fuller's tweets, or X's as you call them now, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but if you go over his tweets, he actually has, has uh, cited that talk several times prior to when Star Trek Discovery came out. 
So yeah, they're trying to incorporate a lot of the current science in there. It's always very, very admirable when they do that. Sometimes it fails. So with the tardigrade, there's a quote that Michael Burnham says in her uh, in the first season where she said, like its microscopic cousins on Earth, the tardigrade incorporates a lo- uh, foreign DNA into its genome by horizontal gene transfer. That was very technical. I remember that caught my eye when they said that. Two years before Discovery came out, there was a paper published in a very reputable journal which said that the, the tardigrade had high rates of horizontal gene transfer. So that worked right into the episode. The problem was is that the next year, which is still before Discovery came out, that was shown to be wrong. <laughs> there probably weren't as many press releases about it. But still, kudos to the writers for trying to incorporate cutting-edge scientific results into their show right off the bat. Like, this is hot off the presses. We're going to work it in. Like, oops. <laughs> Good effort, though. Uh, A-plus for effort. So what, what uh, you said your parents were engineers. Like, yeah. How did you get into, like, biology? Did you just like... Why aren't you an engineer? You get that. Uh, I, mean, I think they would have been happier if I'd been an engineer, but I, I, that that aspect never appealed to me as much. I always I always loved animals. I love playing with things. Yeah, the soft tech, not the hard. Tech. There you go. There you go. Exactly. That's why I was, uh, Dr. R. McDonald always says she hates the squishy, whereas I love the squishy. <laughs> <laughs> She's on the physics side. Physics side. Uh, so, what's kind of new in your in your world? What is there? You just spoke about cutting edge science. What's yeah. the new thing you're excited about? In terms of my personal research or just in the, in the world? In your research, in your field, yeah. like what's a... So my research right now, the research project we're, we're doing is we're trying to understand why there are so many lethal causing gene variants in natural populations. So if we were to actually get full DNA sequences for all of us here, there's a decent chance that every one of us has a lethal causing genetic variant that would make it so we wouldn't live to adulthood. Now, obviously, we're all adults, so obviously it didn't kill us. But what, what, those, what those variants tend to be is they tend to be recessive, meaning you have to have two copies. You have to inherit the same one from your mom and from your dad. We pro- well, you probably only got it from one of our parents. But this begs the question, why are these so common? Why are there so many of these lethal-causing genetic variants out there? This is one of the reasons, by the way, inbreeding is bad. But if you have kids with your sibling, you probably pass on that same lethal-causing variant, and then boom, the kid's dead. Right? So, <laughs> I would say this is probably what makes the Targaryen line so bad in <laughs> Game of Thrones. But we're trying to understand this. We've, we collected a whole bunch of wild fruit flies from my backyard. They also have these lethal-causing genetic variants. We have two big uh, steps to the project. One is to basically just identify what are the different variants. Because it's not the same one. Everybody has a different one, right? So we're trying to identify what are the genes that are doing this. And the other part, that which we haven't actually started yet, is to try to figure out uh, what are the evolutionary forces that are, that are causing them to persist for so long. Is it just the mutation rate is that high? Or is it that maybe when you have one copy, sometimes you're better off? which sometimes happens. So sickle cell anemia is a case of that. In humans, if you have one copy of the variant, you're actually potentially better off because you're actually resistant to malaria. So if you live in, in areas where there is malaria, you'll see that there's higher rates of sickle cell anemia because that, that having one variant is actually good. Huh. It's kind of you know, just the balance that, that makes us, you know, the, the odds of us surviving. Exactly, exactly. So that, that's in terms of my actual research, that, that's definitely got me going. I love it. <laughs> I have a great team of students working on it. Um, where do you see the science of biology going in the next 10 years? Yeah, so in the last 20 years, we've had, <coughs> I'm very biased in terms of this, I mean, my focus will be not just of all biology, but the areas that I'm most familiar with. In the last 20 years, we've had massive, massive improvements in being able to get DNA sequences from whatever we want, easily, rapidly, things like that. If you think of the original human genome, first human genome project, finished in 2001 with the draft genome. And that cost, like, I forget, hundreds of millions of dollars. It took whole, you know, 
giant teams of people internationally. Now you can get an undergrad to do this over the summer. It's not a big deal. <laughs> the technology is so much better. That said, our understanding of what all that means. You, know, you get all these you get all these little letters on a piece of paper. Okay. <laughs> people assume that once we have it, like, oh, now we know. Like, yeah, but that's that like, we have the letters, but it's it's in some code that nobody understands, right? So understanding how that translates to the various traits, to diseases, to you know how long you're going to live, to you know muscle mass or whatever you know whatever trait you're interested in, that is going to dominate for the next several years. And it has been. I mean, the, since the since those genome sequences have come out, people have been focusing on that. We have a long way to go, though. Long, long way to go. So we're not expecting you had the whatever uh, corner store genetic manipulation to occur anytime soon. No. <laughs> well, I mean, to some extent, we can do some genetic manipulation if, for example, it's a known disease-causing variant. Let's say, like, you might, you might be familiar with BRCA1 or BRCA2, these uh, common breast cancer of associated mm -hmm. variants. There, you can see what it is. And potentially, like, we have the technological ability. There's always ethical questions. We have the technological ability to go in an embryo and edit it and fix it. But... We're nowhere near, now I don't advocate this, but we're nowhere near being able to create con, for example. Yeah. You know, people say, like, oh, let's make somebody super intelligent and super smart. Like, yeah, no, we'd have no idea where to start. <laughs> uh, well, as we kind of wrap up here, same question we ask everybody. What advice do you have for young people wanting to get into you know, your line of work uh, or just science in general? Oh, yeah. Ask questions. That's the first part. Ask questions. You know, n don't be shy. People love, like, if you go to a scientist and you find them, and people often say, like, oh, well, I don't want to bug them. Like, oh, my God, you can't flatter a scientist more than say, tell me about your work. <laughs> Please go ask them. If you, want, if you want to get some research experience, let's say you're going to college or something like that, you want to get some research experience, look up just on a website who whatever professor, like, oh, here's this chemist who's doing this really cool stuff with soft matter, blah, blah, blah. blah. Just shoot that person an email and say, hey, I love your work. And maybe she'll reply and say, like, yes, I would love to have you come, you know, join my research team or something like that. So. Show initiative, show interest, and you know, obviously, do your homework. <laughs> uh, last question. Let, let me stress one thing I said earlier. I just want to be very, very clear. I don't advocate making con. <laughs> <laughs> be very clear about that part. I don't want that to come up later. Right, last question from me for Geeky School. Sure. One thing I've noticed through all the interviews I've done with the scientists mm -hmm. is just their overwhelming excitement. Yeah. Um. Well, we don't get into it for the money. <laughs> Why do you think scientists always have that, if you want to call it, youthful exuberance mm -hmm. when talking about what they're doing no matter the field? Yeah. Well, actually, the joke thing I said may be part of it, honestly. That, again, we don't get into it for the money. So, I mean, if you're going to science, it's, it's, a, it's a tough haul. You have to be really excited about it. And I, I don't think it's exclusive to science. I think the same thing would, would apply, for example, to acting. I mean, again, you don't get into it for the money. You have to be really passionate about it, really excited about doing it. So I think that's true for a lot of fields. But I think with that, again, it, it's, a, it's, it's a tough road. So if you don't love it, you're going to have a hard time persisting with it. So I think that would be my best, my best guess at an explanation. All right. Labor of love. Labor <laughs> of love, yeah. Thank you for your time, sir. Hope to, you know, you. we'll release you back into the con. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> hope you have a good weekend. Hope you guys do, too. Thanks for the great questions. I appreciate it. From geekhole.com and Cigar Nerds, thank you for the interview. Thank you, guys, too. And now it's time for Blowing Smoke. And welcome back. Uh, we're here with a, a special guest, our, our first interview at DragonCon. 
Introduce yourself to the uh, the audience, sir. Uh, hi, Nick F. Tomiatis. Uh, I'm, I did that because I was like, I will totally mispronounce your name. I, I barely pronounce his name right. We've yeah, been working I've, together for years. I've, I've, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> uh, so you're here at DragonCon with uh, the Skeptics track. Uh, what are you doing? I know you're a professor at uh, Penn State. What are what are your kind of what are you teaching? I am. I'm a professor of Homeland Security at Penn State. Uh, have been so since 2017. 2017, I retired from a 34-year career in the intelligence community, which started out in CIA, went from there to uh, State Department Diplomatic Security Service, and then spent the bulk of my career in Defense Intelligence Agency. Well, yeah, teach at Homeland Security. Now, what's kind of the, before we get into the weirder stuff, what's the the threats we should be concerned at, like, now? Like, what's the, because everyone's like, oh, Russia, 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 but... Eh, maybe. Now, so that's a, it's an interesting question because the threat landscape has changed so much. If you think about when Homeland Security was first started, a quarter of a million people in Homeland Security, right? Big agency. Uh, but you think about it, it was all terrorism at that point in 2002 when it started, and it's evolved. So we have cyber threats. We have pandemic threats that they have to wrestle with. We have just uh, economic security threats that are ongoing. Economic warfare as its ways, disinformation a whole nother landscape of threat that we don't know at all how to deal with. So it's a very dynamic and changing environment, very broad-based as well. Yeah, it's basically like, you know, we always, whatever they're telling us to be concerned about, that's not what we should be concerned about. <laughs> what, what are they distracting us? Because they don't know, actually. No, right? that's, that's a reality yeah, that's like, of it. You know, I've talked to you know, several people that have worked in the government. Like, everybody thinks there's, like, you know, the shadow government. They're like, no, we barely know what we're doing. It's like <laughs> That's exactly correct. I say that to people all the time. And I say, well, I was in there so, when I first got into CIA. And, you know, I'm expecting the super secret, you know, thing. No. Kind of potato heads. I mean, just like (laughs) well-trained, a lot of great training and stuff, and a great mission, but not different from anywhere else in your society. (laughs) So that leads me to my next question. Uh, Like I said, you retired from some three-letter agencies there, uh, including the CA. What – how is it different from, like, what Hollywood has told us? Like, how – how how bad have they gotten it wrong? And is there anything that they've gotten, like a, a movie or show or something, you think, well, they got that one right? D- depend. No. There are parts of movies and shows <laughs> they get right. Um, so uh, Spy Game, for example, I was a consultant on that. Uh, some of the... Uh, you know, the, the techniques that they learn in teaching, you know, Brad Pitt how to conduct espionage or awareness and things, those are actually real. Um, the way they go about the whole movie is not real. Um, Jason Bourne, you know, all the uh, 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 not real. We don't have people that we train as assassins, and you know, it's just ludicrous. Um, so you don't, you don't. They just don't. It's not cost efficient. It's not. You know, doesn't make sense. It's just not a thing that's done that um, we're going to talk about publicly no I, no actually you know the director of national intelligence talked about it very publicly every tuesday they had what was called killing tuesdays where they would announce the drone strikes and how many people had been killed on it and even what they thought the error margin was on it very very public as as to that that we do no one can reach out and touch someone like we can you know in in that warheads on foreheads right but that's <laughs> but that's the way the u.s does things you know you're training assassins no why go pay someone to do it if you're going to do that yeah. go pay someone who's a local who knows that environment i mean it's you know so you know, so you don't train yeah, people to do that a guy look like us blending into uh you know middle of saudi arabia right right what the heck really no you don't speak the language you don't know the you don't know the the streets and the neighborhood you know nothing but you're going to go do that 
Oh. Now, some do. The Israelis do. So the Russians do. So um, anyway, so it's uh, – there's a lot that, that they get wrong in those things. You know, you don't carry a gun 95% of the time. If you're in a war zone, you carry a gun. If you're in, in extremely bad neighborhoods, you know, in, in crime-ridden countries – uh, where it's a lawless, yeah, nothing to do with the mission, but no, you're, you're going to, and and that's why they train people for high-speed driving, for shooting, and for things like that, just because, you know, you, you could pass, pass through some bad neighborhoods, but they train secretaries the same way, you know, it just, you're in a <laughs> bad true. neighborhood, you're in a bad neighborhood regardless who you are. That's all the thing funny about spy movies, like James Bond. Everywhere he goes, everyone knows him. I'm like, if you're a famous spy, you're a bad spy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Did you ever see James Bond are. collect any information? I thought that's <laughs> no. what spies do. What no. the hell? You know, he, he shoots up every place, but oh. never collects. So, Missed out on the intelligence part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, so, I mean, could you even like watch like spy movies and enjoy? Because I know I'm former law enforcement, so anytime I see like bad like police technique or uh, weapons handling in movies, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's you go for I, I actually don't go and I don't read spy novels. And so what do you think of this? I don't know who is that. What I I, I just don't because it's yeah, not. Like, you watch whatever project? No, I did that for a living. That's right. like work. Right. I watch right. stupid sci-fi. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. It was always funny. I heard. Um, actually, I guess I'll say. Uh, I heard from one country that I was in working with their intelligence service, and I was talking about um, well. We should talk to MI6 about that, you know, the British Intelligence Service. And I said, no way. You know, the, the guy said, no, you know, the, the new James Bond movie came out. They're going to be impossible to talk to for the next three months. And I laughed. <laughs> Same experience. <laughs> uh, so um, you're doing some panels with the Skeptics track. Like, what, what is the Skeptics track for those who haven't come to DragonCon and, and gone through that programming? So, so of course, the Skeptics um, – apply critical thinking right so it's it's you know we challenge you know they challenge the notion of ufos and you know what trying to get to the real understanding of what science is behind our um our mythology that exists in you know in our lives the disinformation the misinformation and really and and trying to i try as a professor to set standards of critical thinking and and what we call analytical tradecraft to be able to read and understand and kind of wade through all the rumors and the beliefs and, and stuff to get to actual understanding of data and yeah, that's like, what the skeptics advance yes i was it uh Sherlock. I feel like that should be mandatory for everyone. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're absolutely uh, right. It's eliminate true. the improbable, the impossible must be true. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I mean, people yeah. just as a whole have gotten lazy with social media and everything else, and it's just like, you know, like, it's great. We, we can communicate globally, you know, but at the same time, what information is yeah, actually like, who, being who passed. Who are we allowing yeah, to and, and, communicate globally? And, right, take away someone's phone. And and how knowledgeable are they without the phone? I looked at it and I had these discussions with my daughters, and they'll take out, ah, 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 put the phone down. What do you think on this? Yeah, no you one know, has memories anymore. It's like, right. Ah, it's just amazing, huh? <laughs> it's just, uh, it's really something. And, uh, you know, I laughed at the producers of that, that movie that came out a while ago, Idiocracy. And they said, we never intended, I mean, this looks <laughs> like it's coming true. Yeah. <laughs> it's very uh, prophetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, UFOs are big in the media currently. What, what do you kind of th- think is going on? Because it's like we've always had, talked about UFOs, but now it's like the government's like having 
hear public hearings and they've like, well, we're not telling them UFOs anymore. We're come up with this UAP, yeah, right. making it a little more official sounding. Well, a friend of mine runs that shop, Sean Kirkpatrick. Really? Yeah, <laughs> we sort of have known each other for decades in the um, in the until we worked in a national reconnaissance office together. Um, so, you know, public pressure on this side, congressional pressure for answers, and and you know, to be fair, to explain some things that need explaining, right? Buzzing ships and things like that. Um, uh, you know, the government's actually being responsive on that in an issue so fraught with, um, you know, with, with the public's attention. Uh, so they've got to be as open as they conceivably can be about this this type of activity. Uh, personally, I think internally people people are saying, and they, it is, it's a career killer. <laughs> I mean, that's why it's all contractors, because you don't want to be, if you're a don't government person, no, you don't want to be, yeah, the official person who's doing UAP. Yeah, good. Have fun with that. What the hell? Uh, final question as we wrap this up. Um, you brought a cigar with you. What do you have a favorite cigar? Do you, uh, I do. It's a, a Bradley series. Um, I forgot the name of it. It's a, a Japanese company that bought out a Honduran cigar manufacturer, and uh, I've just started to uh, just started trying them. And it really, for me, it's extraordinary. I, I you know, so I go buy them as a box at a time. I have to order them, but uh, but I really after. Ten years of looking, I settled in on one, on one cigar. So well, it's amazing that. how that can happen. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, I found you finally. <laughs> well, as we wrap this up, uh, where can people find you, follow you, uh, come study with you? Uh? Uh, well, of course, you know the the last name, which is difficult enough. Uh, F Tim Yadis, and that's E F T I M I A D E S. Um, you search that, and it's like a rash over the internet. So, and I'm on LinkedIn, so I'm easy to find. All right. Well, thank you for your time, sir, and we'll release you back out into the con. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. Have a great con. And that's all we got for you uh, this week. Uh, final thoughts on this here cigar? That, like I said, an hour in, I'm still got half a freaking cigar to go. It that creaminess and grassiness of the Candela is kind of faded out, and a lot more of the the pepperness from the Habano is picked up. So yeah, like around midsection, you get a little more pepper, a little more strength. It, it kind of picks up as you go, which I'm, I'm digging the, uh, the transitions of this cigar. So yeah, you know, pick one up if you, if you find one, uh, and if you can, you know, have two hours of your time, cause this is not going to be a slow cigar. We could do two uh, episodes. And I'll probably still be smoking the same cigar, but with that, check us out on CigarNerdPodcast.com. We're on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CigarNerdPod. And we're over on YouTube at CigarNerdPodcast. Uh, pick up your energy drinks at Real Men Smoke Cigars. Pick up your shirt or pick up your shirts at Real Men Smoke Cigars. Pick up your energy drinks at StrikeForceEnergy.com. Promo code CigarNerds. And with that, Last Dragon Con. Get it all again. Peace. And this has been a recording of the Cigar Nerd Podcast. We are your hosts, Smoking Joe and Brad Jackson. Join us next time for more adventures in nerddom. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.